Hey there, listeners. This episode is a little bit later than anticipated. I apologize for that. Turns out it's not so easy to get a podcast out when you're planning three big meals for 11 guests. So I got a little bit caught up with Passover prep, wasn't able to get this podcast out. But as assured last week, this episode is about Passover and some of the traditions and how it's celebrated. Hope you enjoy. there, folks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum, a podcast trying to bring people together and using the wisdom and lessons of the Torah to do so. As it is Friday, we are going to talk briefly about this week's Torah portion, which is Sav. Our synopsis, as always, comes courtesy of Chabad.org. Here we go. God instructs Moses to command Aaron and his sons regarding their duties and rights as Kohanim, priests, who offer the Karbanot, animal and meal offerings in the sanctuary. The fire on the altar must be kept burning at all times. In it are burned the holy consumed ascending offering, veins of fat from the peace, sin, and guilt offerings, and the handful separated from the meal offering. The Kohanim eat the meat of the sin and guilt offerings and the remainder of the meal offering. The peace offering is eaten by the one who brought it, except for specified portions given to the Kohen. The holy meat of the offerings must be eaten by ritually pure persons in their designated holy place and within their specified time. Aaron and his sons remain within the sanctuary compound for seven days, during which Moshe initiates them into the priesthood. So that's just a brief synopsis of the Parsha. I'm actually not going into it any more than that, but I do think it's important to at least know generally what happens in the Parsha each week. The reason I'm not talking about it more than that is because I want to talk about Passover more. I mentioned in the episode earlier this week that this was going to be a Passover-focused week because Passover starts tomorrow night. It is a hugely important holiday. On Monday, I talked a lot about some of the practical, relevant implications of celebrating Passover. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of celebrating Passover. You may be familiar with some aspects of Passover. You might be a total novice, or you might be an expert. I don't know, but for Everyone on the spectrum, I want to share how Passover is generally celebrated. So Passover is actually, technically, the Jewish New Year. I know this might surprise some of you. You're probably familiar with Rosh Hashanah as the Jewish New Year, and that is how most Jews celebrate the New Year. We consider Rosh Hashanah the New Year. But in fact, Pesach, or Passover, is the real Jewish New Year, in Exodus 12, 12, we learn that Passover should occur at the head of the months, the first month of the year. I don't know what else head of the month or first month of the year would mean other than New Year. Don't we think of January 1st as the head of the months? Obviously the first month of the year. So Passover is the New Year, but so is Rosh Hashanah. And this is not a contradiction. I know this sounds confusing, but think about it this way. We have January 1st, New Year. We also have fiscal years in companies, which often happen in the middle of the year in the summer. A school year starts around September. And our birthdays also mark in our own personal lives the beginning of a year. So we actually have a lot of new years in our personal lives. And it's the same in Judaism. We have Rosh Hashanah, which is a certain kind of new year. And we have Passover, which is a different kind of new year. What is Passover the new year? of, or what does it 
celebrate is new? That question made sense, right? You all understood what I said. Anyway, Passover is a new year because it celebrates the exodus when we went from slaves to being God's chosen people to accepting his Torah and the mission to follow the laws and share them with the world. That is a specific, special thing that warrants celebration. And it it is a beginning. Everything that happened before the Exodus is part of our history. But the Exodus, and specifically the receiving of the Torah, represents God actively getting involved in history, making a choice to bring the Jewish people out of Egypt, and then the Jewish people making the choice to join God. So it's a new year. It's a new life. And that's why Passover is just as much a new year as Rosh Hashanah. And I said chosen people about a minute ago. I just want to remind people because I I know the term chosen people can seem really arrogant. Remember, chosen people doesn't mean that we're special or that we have a higher status. It just means that we have taken upon ourselves extra responsibilities. If you would like to also take on extra responsibilities, you're welcome to become Jewish too. People can convert and you can come and join us on the wonderful mission of trying to spread Torah, wisdom, and morality to the rest of the world. It's a tough mission. People don't love you for it, I can tell you that much, but it's an important one. It's really why we're all here. If we're not trying to improve the world, then what are we doing really? Anyway, so Passover is celebrated for eight days by most people in Israel and in certain communities, it's celebrated for seven days. In the Torah, Passover is a seven-day holiday. It used to be that to determine the new month, there were centuries posted and they were keeping an eye out for the moon, because remember, the Jewish calendar is based upon the moon. And when they saw the moon in the right position, or didn't see the moon, because it's when the moon is not visible that the new month starts, they would announce it and then the message would get passed along. Well, when everyone lived in Israel, which is a very tiny country, this was effective. But when people started to live in other places, this was a less effective system. As you can imagine, spreading the message took a little bit longer. And after a while, there was some dispute as to whether or not people were getting the right day. Maybe they were a little bit late. So to make sure that people were celebrating on time, the rabbis decided to add an extra day of the holiday to Passover, also to Shavuot and to Sukkot. This was all before there were nifty little things called calendars. Now we have calendars, but in most communities, we still celebrate all eight days because when something beautiful and nice is added to a holiday, you don't want to take it away. But that's not true in every community. And I believe in the reform community, they only celebrate seven days. Some conservative communities might also celebrate seven. So it does vary. But many of us traditionally celebrate eight, and I celebrate eight, so that's my frame of reference. Passover is an interesting holiday because there is a ton of prep for it. We have very specific food that we are able to eat, so buying that food and get ridding, getting rid of our other food it takes some time. The Seder nights, which I will get into, are lengthy and specific, so preparing for those, inviting guests, people often get new clothing for the holiday. There's just, there's cleaning that has to get done to get rid of the food that we're not supposed to eat. So it's a very specific holiday. People prepare for different amounts of time. Some people prepare for a whole month. They start right after Purim, which is a month previous. Some people just a week, a couple days before. It depends how much they have to do. But almost everyone is prepping in some way, which is really, well, 
for those of you who don't celebrate Passover that are listening, think of Christmas. Christmas season starts theoretically after Thanksgiving, though these days it starts about July 1st. (laughs) But, you know, the stores start to have different merchandise and there's different music on the radio. People start hosting Christmas events at work or maybe small Christmas events with friends. There's different foods around. And it's all building up to Christmas Day, but you are getting in the spirit ahead of time. The same thing with Passover. We're getting into the spirit ahead of time. And there's this anticipation and excitement that builds up because we're not just celebrating for the seven days or eight days of Passover and then moving on or starting right on the first day, but we're building up to it for a while. There's an excitement and it's maybe similar to Christmas. There's a Christmas spirit. People are more generous, more kind during the Christmas season. Well, Passover, with the focus on history and our past and where we've come from and the importance of being free and liberated people and what that means, when we build up to it, it's not just about the physical preparation, but also a mental preparation and taking stock of what it means to be able to celebrate Passover as Jews, thinking about our exodus from Egypt, where we used to be slaves, but also other parts of the world where practicing as a Jew was not always an option and how fortunate we are to be able to do it today. So there's all this preparation, the food, the cleaning. Finally, the first two nights come. For those people who celebrate only seven days of Passover, then they only have one night of Seder. For those of us who celebrate eight days, we get two nights of Seder. What is the Seder? It is the way that we celebrate Passover. And Seder means order. So at this event, this ordered event, we have 15 steps that we do. And each step either consecrates the day and makes it holy or reminds us of our slavery in Egypt and then the Exodus. For instance, one of these steps is called karpas. And karpas, we take a spring vegetable, spring vegetable because Passover is always in spring. In fact, the reason the leap month was added to the Jewish calendar was so that Passover would always be in spring. One of the other names for Passover is Chag Ha'aviv, holiday of the spring or of spring. It's very important that Passover always be in spring. So we take this spring vegetable and we dip it into salt water. Why do we dip it into salt water? Because salt water reminds us of the tears that we shed when we were in Egypt. A few steps later, we eat marer, which is bitter herbs. People generally eat horseradish. And why do we eat marer? To remind us of the bitter enslavement of Egypt. And a lot of, a lot of what we do during the Seder is like that. It's small, but it reminds us of something specific. The things that we do on the Seder, at the Seder, are very purposeful and meaningful and are meant to remind us and to teach us something. We eat Matzah at the Seder. You might be familiar with matzah. It's that flat, unleavened bread, sort of like a cracker. Non-Jews seem to really like it. Jews complain about it all the time. I have to be honest, I'm kind of neutral about it. It's like a crunchy cracker. It's not bread, but I can go without bread for eight days. It's not a big deal. But it's one of those things when you're in the group, like you complain about it just because that's what you do. You complain, even if you don't really care that much. So we eat a lot of matzah, and there are a few reasons why we have matzah. The common understanding is that we eat matzah because the 
Jews left Egypt in such haste that it didn't give their bread time to rise, so they had matzah. And that is true, but we are commanded to eat matzah even before that with the Paschal sacrifice. And in fact, all of the sacrifices brought in the tabernacle and in the temple, if they included a wafer or bread, it was always unleavened. There was no leavening allowed in the temple. There are lots of reasons why we are commanded to eat matzah and why matzah is the only bread substance allowed in the temple and to accompany the sacrifices. I'm just going to touch on one, which I think is really interesting. Matzah is flat. Bread is risen. Matzah represents humility. Leavened bread represents ego. When we're eating matzah, yes, we are subduing our ego in terms of our relation to other people, but more importantly, we're subduing our ego in relation to God. We are eating the matzah because it's what God wants, and we are accepting upon us his laws and rules and regulations. Matzah is also the bread of affliction and poverty. So in one sense, it's a very equalizing food. And also it reminds us of the affliction of being slaves. Matzah is not the food. It's not the kind of food that a king eats. It's basic. It's water and flour. That's it. No salt, no yeast, nothing. Water and flour. It's what slaves eat. So we eat it and we remember our slavery. But later in the Seder, later in the Seder, when we drink wine and when we do other parts of the Seder, we recline while we eat because reclining is what a king gets to do or someone free gets to do. They get to enjoy their meal, not shovel it in their face real quick because they don't know where their next bite is coming from, but relax and enjoy. The longest part of the Seder is Magid, which means to tell. And it's when we tell the story of the Exodus. I went into great detail about the importance of telling the story of the Exodus in the last episode. So I'm not going to go very deeply into it right now, but this part of the Seder really is the reason for the whole Seder. Telling the story, making sure that we as Jews understand our history and where we come from, why we are who we are, why we do what we do, our connection to God, why he took us out of Egypt, all of those things. That's why we have the Seder and that's what Magid is all about. The section of Magid starts out with the Manishtana. It's the four questions, and generally the youngest, generally children ask the questions. If there's no child, the youngest person at the Seder, which in my case is always my younger brother who's in his 20s, but he's still the youngest, so he's got to do it. But generally we all join in and sing together. We're asking the four questions, and the four questions all start with why is this night different? from all other nights. And then it specifically explains what is different about this night than on other nights. For instance, that we eat maror, the bitter herbs, or that we recline when we eat. Why are we doing all of these things? The Manishtana brings up two interesting points. The first is that it is asked by a child. I think there might be a vision of Judaism as a bunch of wizened old men sitting around reading Talmud and discussing the ins and outs of Jewish law all day. And that exists for sure. That is a part of Judaism. But when the Jews were given the Torah, there is a parable that says that God 
asked the Jews who would be the guarantors that the Torah would go to the next generation. And first they said, our great scholars will be the guarantors. And God said, well, that's not good enough. And then they said, well, the elders, they'll make sure it gets passed on. God said, that's not going to work for me. And then they said, what about the children? And God said, yes, absolutely. That is what I was looking for. The children are the guarantors of the religion, of our future. Yes, it is the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers who share it with the younger generation, but it is the younger generation, it is the children who carry it on. And it is sort of for their sake that we do so much of what we do at the Seder because it stimulates them to ask questions. Not just the four questions, which are literally written out, but just trying to get them to ask questions. Because when kids ask questions, and if you've ever spent time with a kid, you know how many questions they can ask. And there's no end to how many whys they can ask. This Why is the sky blue? Because of the reflection of the sea. Why? Because, I mean, it, why can go on and on and on. So when there are kids present to ask questions, it actually forces us as adults to really think and see things in a different way. See things in a way that maybe we saw them when we were younger, but it's been so long. Or see things in an entirely new way, because kids do see the world differently than adults do. But asking questions is actually important for everyone. And even though there are specific paragraphs and specific thoughts in the Haggadah, which is the book we use during the Seder, so there are specific things that we're supposed to read and say and talk about at the Seder, but it's all supposed to provoke conversation. It's not meant to just be read and not absorbed, which happens at a lot of Seders because if you're, even if you're 15, you have done 30 Seders. You know, if you're doing two a year, maybe you've only been able to read since you were six, but still you've been going and the paragraphs don't change. The Haggadah doesn't change. It can get really dry, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be relevant and meaningful and impactful, which can be hard. And it's one of the challenges of the Seder is how do we keep this information fresh and really connect to it each year? It's a challenge for the leader of the Seder and for each participant to find something to connect to. But questions are a great conversation starter. I remember one of my close family friends would keep a bowl of hazelnuts on the Seder table. And I asked them why. And they said, so people would ask why. There was no other reason for the hazelnuts to be there other than so that people would ask questions because you're supposed to ask questions and be curious and want to learn more because maybe you have been to 30 or 60 or however many satyrs, but the you of 2021 is not the you of 2020 or the you of 2019 or the you of 1972. And what we're reading can, should impact us differently as we grow and as we become different people. One of the things talked about during Magid is the 10 plagues that God inflicted upon the Egyptians before the Jews were finally freed from Egypt. There's one tradition that I really like. When we read the 10 plagues, we pour out a drop of wine for each plague in memory of the Egyptians who perished and who suffered during the plagues. Because yes, we are happy that the plagues happened because they allowed us to leave Egypt, but we don't celebrate the suffering of other people. I think that's a really nice reminder during this holiday, which celebrates our freedom that there were people who suffered while we were celebrating and that we should remember them.
After Magid, there's a meal. Because we're Jews and we eat, there's literally a song that goes, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat, which is basically Purim, Passover, and Hanukkah. We're Jews. We eat. There's always too much food. Every year you think that you haven't made enough food for all your guests and there's always too many leftovers. We drink four cups of wine or grape juice. Throughout the Seder, there is an afikomen, which is, we have three matzahs on the table. One of them is broken in half and many have the tradition to hide the afikomen and then the children go and look for it and get a prize if they find it. It's another way of incorporating children into the Seder and getting them excited about it. I remember my grandfather always hid the afikomen exceptionally well. We invite the prophet Elijah into our homes and leave a cup of wine for him. We sing praises to God and we end the Seder by proclaiming next year in Jerusalem because that is always our hope that next year we will all be gathered to our homeland in Jerusalem and celebrating together as one united Jewish nation. Passover is such an interesting holiday because there are so many traditions and so many customs and because it's so often celebrated with family that it's impossible to celebrate without thinking of who isn't with you that year, whether it's because someone passed away or this year, especially because of COVID and last year, people who couldn't be together. It's a very family-oriented holiday because of that. And there are things, like I just said, my grandfather always hid the afikomen really well. I can always hear my great uncle's voice saying the blessing at the beginning because he sang, you know the song Old Man River? He was like that deep. He had such a resonant voice. I know that my aunt's favorite food is the charoset. So it's a very meaningful holiday for the Jewish community at large, but also for individuals and for families. What people eat, what people don't eat, how many days they celebrate, all sorts of things vary from place to place. But the important thing is the passing on of the story, understanding our history, knowing where we came from, where we're going, our connection to God, why he saved us from slavery, and what our mission is in this world. This year we have what we call a three-day holiday because Shabbat starts tonight and then Passover starts Saturday night and lasts through Sunday night and then the second night is Sunday night through Monday. So we have three days of a holiday. It's basically three days of Shabbat. So all the things that we do and can't do on Shabbat it's the same for Sunday and Monday, except we are allowed to cook because God recognized that three days without being able to cook. Remember, people didn't used to have refrigeration, so you did have to make food on the daily. was not as reasonable. So we can cook and we can carry because all people were supposed to gather at the temple, including little babies, so we needed to be able to carry. But otherwise, it's three days of a holiday, which means that... I am not going to have an episode on Monday because I am celebrating all weekend and won't have time. So I want to wish everyone now a very happy Passover and a Shabbat Shalom for those of you who are celebrating. For those of you who are not celebrating, enjoy your weekend. I hope the weather's lovely. I hope you find some time for something meaningful this weekend, something personally fulfilling, some way that you can help a friend or help a stranger. And remember that Passover is a new year. And like on all New Year's, we get to make resolutions. And maybe this year's resolution for you can be 
to always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at e epluribusunumpodcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude, Opus 10, Number 1 in C Major, known as the Waterfall Etude.